Welcome to this episode of CDN Media's Solution Spotlight. I'm your host, J.D. Miller, Vice President at CDN Media. Today is part two of a three-part series with our partner, LogMeIn. I loved the first podcast and excited to dive into this session. We've partnered with LogMeIn for the series and we'll be joined by Ian Pitt, their Chief Information Officer, and Paul Gentile, Senior Director of Product Marketing at LogMeIn. Today, we're gonna to cover how to create a secure work environment if you aren't familiar with LogMeIn, LogMeIn is a SaaS company providing cloud-based remote connectivity services for collaboration, IT management, and customer engagement. When we come back, call me in. I'm joined by Paul and Ian, and, and Paul, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yep, great. Uh, glad to be here again, JD. Really uh, also enjoyed the first podcast, so um, excited to do uh, this one as well. Um, Paul Gentile, I work out of our uh, Boston-based location when uh, we're normally back in the office, but I oversee product marketing for our unified communication and collaboration business unit. That means, in short, uh, I run or have a seat at the table as it relates to go-to-market strategies, product positioning, and working with folks like Ian's team, uh, as well as uh, product and engineering to make sure that we're delivering things uh, secure, reliable to our customers. Hey, everyone. Yep, Ian Pitt, Chief Information Officer of Log Me In. Uh, pretty much if anything has a plug on it in the company, that's in my world to, to keep the company running, secure, and helping everyone work from home. I'm uh, calling in from my southern New Hampshire office. I would often be in Boston, but I'm also loving the remote first mode that the company is operating in. Well, and that brings me to my first question, Ian. You know, how did you enable and support your the workforce to work remotely when COVID-19 hit us? Combination of, I'd like to think it was planning, but there was a lot of luck and capability thrown into the mix as well. We we are, of course, a company that does remote operations, remote collaboration tools. So we essentially turned those up to 11 and that allowed us to get everyone home in a very short space of time. And I think if I think back six months, we got 4,000 people working from home in about three days. Um, using all of our own technology and also capitalizing on the, the flexibility that the entire team brought to bear to move into these strange new situations. How much of a challenge was that? I'd, I'd be diminishing it to say there was no challenge at all. It was a massive undertaking, but we'd done a lot of planning up front to this. We'd typically often shut offices down anyway for either service, maintenance, natural disasters. And so we were well, well practiced at shutting down an individual office periodically. What we'd never done was shut down the entire fleet. And so that became the focus of making sure that nothing would break, that we'd removed any dependency on a, a given office. We did get through a, a couple of dry runs and then we made the call to just go ahead and do it for real. So I think that that level of planning the, the capabilities of the, the product line and the fact that we were very well used to remote working made it easier than perhaps many other companies have. Um, that still stands true to this point. 
Ian's underselling how much uh, how much his organization did to help us make that happen. A um, couple other quick statistics: we have nearly four thousand employees across the globe. I believe there is over ten office locations in addition to people that are working remotely uh, full time. So we were able to, at the drop of a dime, a snap of a fingers, go fully remote uh, because of Ian's team. So um, while I don't want to sh- while I don't want to stroke him too much here, um, we really did not miss a beat as it related to um, reacting and uh, reacting to the the COVID reality uh, that we all had to face because of the planning, because of the dedication, because of what um, Ian's team has done. In addition to the application and tool sets uh, that make up our entire portfolio and what we provide to customers on a day in day out basis. That brings me to my next question for you, Ian. What tools and processes did you have to find that you didn't even know you needed as you were going through this? That's a very good question. We were very well set up with our own products. So GoToMeeting, GoToConnect. So the the collaboration tools and the communication tools that we we build, we use, we, we certainly use internally as well, put us in good stead. I think the... We're all learning about some of the other tools that we need in terms of the the asynchronous uh, ability to communicate, perhaps whiteboarding uh, capability to allow teams to remain productive, even though they're no longer sitting in the room. Now, there's there's so much you can do with room environments and face to face and audio channels. We've got that nailed. The some of them are some of the other tools we brought to bear were our existing development tools, uh, spreading them out wider, uh, making sure that more users who would never typically use a, a whiteboard because they were always in the same room, then got to use those online as well. The one thing we can't overstate also was the dependency on our other communication tools. We're a big Slack user, for example, uh, making sure we cascade information throughout the entire organization. We all learned that there is no such thing as too much uh, information sharing when you're trying to move 4,000 people home. Another question follow-up to that. How do you reconcile the challenge of finding an immediate solution versus finding something that would still scale with your long-term needs? Fantastic question. Uh, It's all about... uh, making sure that a solution is perhaps good enough rather than waiting for perfection. The, you've got to make sure that the, the tools that are selected, they, they do the job. They may not be the most elegant. They may not be the most absolute feature rich, but they have to work. They have to fit the, the majority of the users. They also have to be secure and they have to be centralized. For example, you could, you could let individual teams pick their own collaboration tools. All that does is break the, that creates silos, that introduces islands of uh, collaboration, which means you lose something from the overall company. If you don't move fast enough, then people will try and find their own solution. And it's actually much more expensive and more complex to pick up the pieces afterwards. So it's a balancing act of moving fast, getting something that's good enough, but making sure it's also universally acceptable. And it doesn't expose the company to any operational risk. The big piece that, that Ian hits there, right, is the the um, the idea of being able to scale, right, uh, and making sure that you're still consolidating or keeping guardrails around things for uh, for your employee base. As I mentioned earlier, 4,000 employees, right, you're going to have people that are going to try different types of solutions because um, there's there's different options out there. 
But Ian's job becomes even more complicated, more difficult, because they've got to make sure that all of these things are um, not going to reduce uh, reliability, that it is going to make sure that the performance is as high as it can possibly be, and to make sure that he's reducing any security risk or overhead that's associated with some of these tools. Um, not only has Ian's team implemented multiple different types of security awareness training, some of which have a, a great comic relief embedded inside them, so I do applaud you guys again for that, Ian, um, but making sure that security is part of our DNA, right, and not just within his team, but that there's a true understanding of what we need to do and how we need to be aware as employees as we make different decisions uh, day in, day out. That's a key piece that I've really been um, – uh, impressed with as I've uh, been here for nearly three years at LogMeIn and what is sort of embedded throughout um, the expectation setting and the security training that is uh, that put forth by Ian's team. You put a couple of good points there and you, you were talking about people putting their own stuff in, you're dealing with shadow IT at that point in time. But then Paul just talked about, you know, making sure it's secure. So I'm, I'm curious, what new security threats have emerged this year as everyone immediately shifted to working remotely? I wouldn't say we've seen new varieties. What we have seen is a an increased level of attempts to get into the, the organization. The, you can guarantee whenever something confusing happens in the world, no one quite expects the pandemic to hit, but there's lots of confusion even now in the uh, in the world. The, the bad players in the marketplace are always going to try and exploit that. So we have seen increased phishing attempts, and I'll stress the attempt. We, uh, we've deflected all of those to date, and long may that continue. We see threats against our perimeters. And remember now that historically we had a smaller number of offices. Uh, we've now got 4,000 offices. So we have to make sure we up our uh, continual education to, to make sure that even when people are feeling perhaps a little comfortable at home, that they still take the company first security mentality in. And a combination of that education, and Paul touched on that uh, earlier, the, the being more aware that in tricky situations, the threat always increases, we've managed to stay ahead of the, the bad groups so far. So, so to that end, Ian, um, you know, one of the things that I think is sort of uh, the unsung hero behind uh, what we do for providing with customers uh, to customers is around what we've done inside of uh, the security mechanisms inside of our products that are part of the portfolio, right? Not only do we have uh, LastPass, uh, which is that password protection service um, as part of our, a key piece of our portfolio, but there's different pieces that have been dripped into some of our uh, UCC or Unified Communication Collaboration tool sets like GoToMeeting, like GoToConnect. Can you speak to um, some of the decision-making processes that you um, that your team uh, takes takes on as it relates to our product development and how that translates to a more secure environment uh, for our customers? Absolutely. You've raised a great point there, Paul. It's a, we're not only keeping the, the team members safe or internal infrastructure or production, we're also feeding information back into the product line. Some of the, the areas that we... Um, we took into account, and that goes back to uh, JD's point earlier in terms of keeping ahead of any potential threats. As you've moved a large team remote, there's a lot of opportunity for more people to pile into a meeting. And what we don't want to do is have unknown people sneak into those meetings. 
And so making sure that we're educating people on make sure you lock your meeting, make sure you password it as necessary. Some of the changes we've seen are the, the waiting room areas come in, stronger passwords, making sure that they appear much earlier in any user interfaces to really make them pop. And that's allowed us to stay ahead of any of the, uh, maybe the bombing problems that other organizations had in terms of unexpected guests turning up on meetings. Linking LastPass with GoToMeeting, uh, you forget your password, great, go use LastPass as a, um, as a password vault to simplify joining meetings, tying it into our single sign-on system. Things we've always had, we've just done a, a broader, call it marketing campaign to make sure that people are uh, familiar with that. That then goes into how do you actually run a secure meeting? You, you brought up passwords, you brought up uh, education. I'm curious, what creative solutions have you had to come up with this year in order to protect your organization and individual employees? from the security threats of this interesting year? I'd like to think we've been pretty innovative in a number of areas. The Most organizations have certainly upped their game in terms of the education, but that, that's historically been more emails, better reminders. We did broaden our security training to anyone in the, not only the company, but their, their close family members if they wanted it. The, the reason behind that was every company pours large amounts of money into making sure people like Paul, for example, understand that security is critical and we, we all focus on Paul. What we've never done is focused on people Paul lives with because they're typically not with Paul in the office. But now that we've got a, a much larger network uh, where we've got kids surfing, we've got significant others, even friends, relatives sitting on the same network as our team members at home, we've broadened security to make sure they're aware of all the threats as well. Uh, we can treat it as a public service announcement, uh, but it's it lowers our risk while encouraging security starting at home. So that's one area that we've worked on. The uh, One of the other areas that we have done that I find fascinating that all parts of the industry have moved through a remote work. We used to run escape room ideas for security training. I'm sure all of us have been to an escape room for fun reasons. We've been running those in-house for probably about a year, but everyone had to come to a conference room. We found a way of making that virtual. So we could still use the concept of team building and escape room escape, but in a purely remote environment. And we've had some fantastic feedback on that. And that's, that's all part of the making security both serious and fun. We're doing it in any environment. We don't have to have a physical room to escape from anymore. Talking about security, traditionally security threats have come through email phishing scams, which users become more savvy at identifying over time. Now that virtual meetings are becoming a focus for hackers, what new security tactics are being used to protect the privacy and information of organizations and, and their employees? There's a... Uh, there's a number. Uh, again, it comes down to some education. Uh, if you think about some of the ways that make more sense in a virtual world, things like uh, deep faking. I'm sure all of us have come across deep fakes in the past. Well, we're finding that the, uh, the bad team, Team Red, are now using those to try and up their game in phishing. If I saw a, a video from my CEO come across on uh, on email or posted uh, 
it will take time to, to unpick that and make sure that wasn't a, a fake. But we're seeing that kind of activity now. So that comes down to education. It's no longer can you identify a, a fake email? It's can you identify that a voice or a video is actually fake as well? Because you can't trust anything these days. So we're happy to up our game in that area. In terms of other security, it's the tried and tested process of people, technology and process. It's there's no one uh, silver bullet. To, to fix everything. You have to make sure people stay educated and informed and updated. You've got to make sure your processes continue to evolve. And that's something we've been pretty good at over the uh, the time at LogMeIn. And you have to make sure that technology uh, keeps on top of it. We we may have 4,000 offices, but we still make sure we protect the all the core infrastructure in the company. But we can no longer guarantee that the office walls of the security uh, or the final line of security, we have to go much deeper into the, the technology. I'm not going to share exactly what we do because we don't want to give angles, but suffice to say that we've expanded our security spend to, to make sure that endpoints are protected just as well as the brick and mortar of the offices. Well, I'll take that even a step further, right? I love the way that you said, Ian, that we not only, uh, we prior, prior to this had about 10, 15 offices across the globe, but now we have 4,000 offices because everybody is fully, uh, distributed, uh, across the entire LogMeIn workforce. But think about that going further inside of our products, right? Go to meeting, go to connect, right? We now have, because of, uh, even prior to COVID, we have a tremendous amount, millions of users every single year, millions and millions of sessions, meeting sessions that are being uh, uh, delivered every single year. So with the spike that happened because of COVID, we now have to make sure that each one of those meeting sessions, each one of those instances where people are interacting with themselves with internally as well as externally with customers are more secure than ever. I take a lot of pride in, in the work that Ian's team has done to advise and, and um, deliver different security measures that we've embedded inside of our products. There's a reason why we haven't been in the news for security and privacy uh, uh, issues as compared to some of our, our competitors. Right. And it's because of the work that we've done with meeting locks, with some of the password protection pieces that are embedded inside of go to meeting that are embedded inside of go to connect because we can uh, we can boldly claim that we have that as part of our DNA that I highlighted earlier. Ian has that as part of what we're doing inside of our employee base, and that translates and cascades into each one of the products because the development teams are taking it that much more seriously as well. As a result, our customers see the payoff and don't have the same sort of security threats, or perhaps they're not as vulnerable to the same sort of security threats that many of our uh, our our competitors face on a day-to-day -day basis. I do take that as a point of pride uh, because I, I stand behind everything that Ian's team and Mike Sharp on the product team and the engineering teams do um, uh, with their development efforts. It, that great point. And when we think about tools that we want to use, you know, and, and we, we've talked in our, our first episode about collaboration and even ease of use. I, I'm curious, Ian, what was top of mind when thinking about implementing new tools and processes for employees around the world? And how did you deal with that or, or even battle some of those thoughts? It all comes down to making sure that they, they are going to deliver value to the organization. Um, 
And it's it's not on certainly the CIO team to be highly declarative in terms of this is the only tool, go use it. So I think as we as we look back at the tools that we, we do use and we are still yet to use, the the successful deployment comes from certainly the idea of crowdsourcing. That's different from shadow IT. That's going out and seeking input from all of the, the stakeholders. But making sure that we, we do a well-rounded view of it. It's, there are some fantastically functional products out there, but they're not secure or they're set up in a way that doesn't encourage security. Uh, the, the productivity environment is all about balancing the ability for, for users to quickly understand, quickly share, quickly capitalize on the capability. But often security takes a backseat. Um, as you, we've been discussing with Paul, uh, reading blocks, we used to have them buried way down in the meetings because no one really used them in the past. We moved those way forward uh, to encourage people using them, but it didn't really get in the way of the productivity of the, the suite of tools. It, it becomes a new, highly visible feature. Um, if we look at some of the third party tools that we, we've brought on board, uh, we do find the need to make sure that they're not going to get us in trouble. They still deliver the value and we have to encourage people of how to use them in a in a very uh, private environment. That means not setting documents public by default. That's changing them or making sure that people understand that we are protecting the company at the same time as making their lives easier. And then when we collect feedback from the user population, we pick a winner, uh, we run with that, and then we make sure that becomes the uh, the tool across the entire company to make sure that everyone can pile in and help be productive where necessary. I'll, I'll take I'll, I'll I'll double down on what um, Ian just said. Right, the the main payoff that you see inside of our user interface and our user experience is some of the things that we brought to bear um, front and center with uh, during the pandemic, where meeting locks is right right in front so that people can easily lock their meeting to prevent attackers, hackers, pranksters is probably the more uh, the more relevant one from what we've seen with some of our competitors over uh, um, uh, the past few months, right? But by balancing that the right way, right, and making sure that Ian still can, can deliver a secure product and environment on our behalf, as well as protecting our internal constituents, right, he balances that or we balance that with our UX team and those UX designers. And that's a perfect harmony behind what is going on. And the end result is a better secure, a more secure and a more reliable and a more well-suited product based on what the UX team has collaborated with um, our CISO team on uh, behind the scenes. You guys have logged me in, you have a unique situation. So many offices as we've talked about and, and how to, support a fully distributed workforce from an IT standpoint, Herculean effort. You know, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I certainly can't understate the uh, the effort involved. It's when you've got people who are used to simply walking up to our, say, our service desk desks in the, uh, the office because they have a challenge. Uh, that gets blown away. We can't do that anymore because everyone is remote. Now, luckily, because of the the other business units that we have in the company for remote access that we're also well known for and remote management, 
we simply turn those tools on and use them to go into the, the machines that we've got. We've also improved a, a number of processes that were already in flight, but we've gone a lot wider with. Uh, example, if someone brought a, a damaged laptop into the office, we'd typically switch it out with a new one and then they'd run with it. Um, we've moved to a what's called a zero touch approach where we simply drop ship a laptop Right from the manufacturer, our team member logs in and down comes all of the software and the technology that they need to do their job. Very little input from the IT team. Now, what that's allowed us to do is focus the service desk on the keeping existing customers or existing team members running, providing improvements. And that's a combination of changing the way the team works. We've moved to a much more distributed manner than office based. We're using our tools far more because everyone is now uh, distributed. And we've polished the, the processes that were in flight before the pandemic started. Now, alongside that, we're also making sure people know all of the products that we do ourselves. Um, we've seen a, a great uptick, which always comes across as ironic, but we're seeing a lot more LastPass usage within our own uh, company now because not everyone used all of the collaboration tools that we've offered because they were typically in the office. They've had to go back and remember how to get into a whole number of tools that now they have to use on a daily basis. And that's also driving further adoption of our own internal uh, capability within the company. And we're seeing that reflected in the larger marketplace as well. It's an interesting take that you say uh, and how you bring up the zero touch um, aspect, right? So not only are we uh, on the bleeding edge of what we're doing in providing these types of solutions to customers, but we're sort of drinking our own champagne in the way that you've uh, you just highlighted that there too, Ian. Um, and I think in a post-pandemic world, right, that's that zero touch type of uh, approach and philosophy is going to carry over and be more of a decision-making criteria than ever before for um, IT buyers. And I, and I say that not only because of what we're able to provide and sort of the unique portfolio and tool set that we have as LogMeIn with these remote access tools in addition to the communication and collaboration pieces, but the, the idea behind what we're able to do to make sure that where people in regions are seeing spikes if COVID reemerges or if we're ever faced with another pandemic, to have these types of procedures, policies in place so that there's zero touch to reduce any concern that some people might have while still making sure that businesses can remain as pr productive uh, and have a true business continuity plan in place and never miss a beat becomes more critical than ever. And that's sort of why I am so excited about um, what we're able to provide and how we're going to change the way that people are thinking about a fully distributed or a hybrid model workforce moving forward. Right. It's not just about um, one particular aspect and how you're making decisions. It's about this complete vision and complete plan that um, CISOs and CIO organizations or other uh, other divisions inside of an organization have to come together to make the right decision to keep their employees and their customers safe from threats. As, and that means potentially pandemic threats, but also from security threats and privacy threats that we're facing day in, day out as well. Absolutely, Paul. That is a fantastic point. It's, even if we, we woke up tomorrow and found everyone could pile back into the offices, we would not dismantle any of the, the processes, the infrastructure, the approach that we've brought to bear in the last six months, because all of that 
it frees up the workforce to pretty much work from anywhere, regardless of whether we have offices or not. It's created some great efficiency. It's created some great new ideas about how to keep people aware, how to keep them productive. And that doesn't really change, even if everyone's sitting around the same desk. It's uh, everything we've learned here is applicable in any working environment. And we will simply keep on pushing forward, uh, evolving as necessary and making sure that we, we bring the most effective working environment, regardless of where that is across the entire company and therefore into the, you know, the rest of our customer base. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, one, one other thing, um, you know, part of the other the other part of our portfolio that we um, sort of hinted at, uh, but we've taken some lessons from and embedded inside of our communication collaboration uh, portfolio is the idea behind password protection services. Yes, we have meeting locks. Yes, we have uh, password protection pieces that are embedded inside of GoToMeeting, inside of GoToConnect, so that people can remain secure in no matter what environment uh, or what location they are across the entire globe. But one of the, the best pieces of the LogMeIn portfolio is LastPass. Now, I know you've been instrumental in sort of the decision-making process and what has uh, and what we've done with that particular component and that particular product, Ian. Um, but I'm hoping you can maybe highlight what that means for IT departments moving forward and why at an enterprise scale, as you think about security in a post-pandemic world, what does a password protection service like or password vault like LastPass do for people like you that are in your in your seat having to make these tough decisions? Sony allows me to to sleep better at night, Paul, because we're we're balancing the the idea that security and productivity do not have to be mutually exclusive. And I'll add some color to that. Uh, I think everyone knows that passwords are a necessary evil until the the planet has figured out how we can remove them and make new ways of super secure access to systems. But we we also know that people want easy access to their applications. They certainly don't want to have to think up a, a random password for every site they want to, even though they know that having the same password on every single application is a real bad thing. Where LastPass allows us to really uh, improve security and also education at the same time, is one, yeah, it generates nicely randomized passwords to keep the, the users safe. It makes it easy to autofill those in websites and applications so they get the benefit of good security, but also productivity. But it also goes and finds out where perhaps they've used those passwords before. It gives them a, a heads up where their information may be leaking out into the, I'll call it the dark web. Because we've, we've turned on certain uh, functions within the product that allows us to look behind the scenes and see if they're at risk anywhere. So you can imagine LastPass as being a, a great security coach. It makes life easy uh, in terms of protecting systems. It encourages good security. And it will also give you a heads up if there's something a little strange going on in your, in your security world uh, from a, a personal perspective. And then making sure that that's used across the, the entire company, it does make it easy to be productive. Uh, it's, it's one less thing to worry about. And that's why I like LastPass both personally. In fact, one of the reasons I came to lock me in was I was a big LastPass user before I figured out who the parent company was. So imagine my surprise when the, uh, we started talking. And it's made corporate life easier because it's, 
it takes the pain away from people from having to think about how to secure their systems. Thank you, Paul and Ian, for diving into this topic with us. I encourage you to tune into our next Solution Spotlight with Log Me In as we take out our crystal ball and talk about partnering for your successful work future. For more information on Log Me In, visit goto.com. Tune in next time for CDM's Solution Spotlight.